And what we're asking ourselves through this series is, do I know what seat I'm supposed to be in? Some of you are in the back seat, you should be in the driver's seat. Some of you are in the driver's seat and you need to take a back seat for a while because somebody else needs to have the reins for a moment. But we also have to ask ourselves, are we all going in the direction together that we're intended to go in? Like, do we know where we're going in this life? And are we pulling people with us so that we're going towards that destination together? And are we purposeful about our journey? So over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna to start to answer some of those questions. Uh, some of those questions might seem a bit out there, right? Like, okay, purpose and do I matter and right seat on the right bus, I get it. But that's kind of, you know, big picture thinking. Well, I promise we'll narrow it down over the next couple of weeks. See, the reality is there's something about purpose. There's something about a life of purpose, a life of destiny that really, really shakes us to our core. It, it, it causes us to think and it causes us to connect. People who don't have purpose generally aren't very well connected individuals. They're generally not well connected with others and they're definitely not well connected within the body of Christ or within maybe their relationship with God. Because there's a, an aspect of purpose that draws connection out of us. So generally what we see is people who have a definiteness of purpose in their life, they're some of the most connected people on the planet. And the reason is they've asked this hard question of themselves, in fact, three hard questions. Because we all have a need, we all have basic needs in life. Three of the most basic needs are to live, to love, and to matter. Do we live, really live life? Are we living life to the fullest? And I don't mean just going on vacation from time to time and saying we had a good time. I'm saying, are we living every day on purpose? Are we living life to the fullest? Or are we living just to pay off a mortgage and to pay a car payment and to send some kids to school? Are we really living life? Do we live? Do we love? Do we have deep-seated connections? Do we know that we have relationships that are so, so personable that we can go to that person with anything that's going on in our life? Do we love to the extent that we care for our neighbors, that we care for those who have less than we have? Do we have enough passion inside of us to love as Jesus loved? And do we matter? Do we matter? iPads goofing up there. Do we really matter? When we are come to the end of our life, when we come to the end of this life and it's over, is anyone really gonna notice that we were gone? Does our life matter to the extent that people won't just come around our funeral procession and eat our chicken and go on their merry way? Do they really, really, do we really, really matter? to the lives around us. And so some of those, those are some of the questions that we wanna to ask today. That do we live life on purpose? Do we love intentionally? And do we matter because we have purposeful actions behind everything that we do? See, there's so many people that overcompensate when they don't have an idea of their purpose in life. And they overcompensate in all the wrong areas, right? We watch them, uh, they, they talk about how big their job is and all the responsibilities. They go out and buy a nicer car than their neighbor just to prove they can one-up the Joneses. People overcompensate in so many areas when they really don't feel that they're living, that they're loving, and that they matter. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter two and verse 19. And we'll get there in just a minute. Aristotle said it this way about life and about art. He said the aim of art, and I'm gonna put in parentheses there, life is to represent not the outward appearance of a thing, but their inward significance. 
See, this is what we're all called to when we're painting the picture of our life because we've all been given brushes, we've all been given a set of paints, and we are painting on our canvas an image of this life. We are painting what we hope people will look at someday as a masterpiece that represents our life. As we live, as we love, as we matter, each brush stroke is starting to create a mosaic, a mosaic of every single moment in time where we are developing a persona, that we are developing the core essence of who we are. And Aristotle said it this way, that in that, in that advance of art, that we are representing simply what we see, but we're trying to uncover the inward, uncover the innermost, uncover that, that thing that's so, so held on the inside of each of us. So Ephesians chapter two and verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are, God, and you are of God's household. One of the reasons we don't understand purpose in life is we don't understand who we are. We don't understand where we come from. See, we think we're still tied to that old dead self. We think we're still tied to that old person that we used to be. And the Bible's real clear that when we accept Jesus, we are no longer strangers and aliens. Listen, everybody out there in the world that isn't really part of the family of God because they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior, they are aliens. They are wandering life aimlessly even though they might look like they're trying to attain one goal after another, even though it might look like their life is advancing, the truth of the matter is, as far as the Bible's concerned, that they don't, real ha they don't really have a citizenship that they belong to. The Bible says, though, that we that are in Christ Jesus have a citizenship, that we're part of the family of heaven, that we are part of the kingdom of God. And it's incredibly important for us to understand that. I've had the opportunity to travel quite a bit, and as I go to different countries around the world, uh, aside from Israel itself, most other countries that I visit, everybody that, want, that, that finds out you're an American, they wanna come. They wanna come to America. They wanna experience the American dream. They wanna see what life is like in the United States. In fact, most of them would give up family and friends just for the opportunity to live where you live, to sit where you sit, to have the job that you have, most of them would trade everything they have at a moment's notice just for that opportunity because it is, I believe, still the greatest country on the earth. But traditionally, traditionally, if one were to give up their citizenship, what has to happen? Well, they have to learn new cultures and new standards, right? If you're to come from, let's say, Sierra Leone, that's a country I've been to during missions, doing missions work, and one of the pastors there that I got to talking with, he was in the United States for a brief stay. And we were driving up to a stoplight and this, the light was red and it was early on a Sunday morning. And he's like, why are you stopping? Like in Sierra Leone, we just blow through it because nobody's gonna catch you. There's no police around, there's no one around. What does it matter? Why obey the, the traffic laws? And I didn't tell him there were cameras, but I said, well, it's a different cultural thing. It's a little different. We try to obey most of the laws most of the time. I know sometimes we speed a little bit coming up on Brady. I never ever hear just motorcycles flying through here at a million miles an hour, but it seems like every Sunday, like that one, you hear them all the time. I hate that noise. Anyway, someday we won't be here and I will be thankful that's gone. Um, it's so distracting. But when we come, when someone comes to a different country, they learn their culture, they learn the mannerisms, they learn how people interact, they learn the different phrases and language that you can, that, that, that you can say. Uh, and, and language is a huge thing, right? When I was in, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Great Britain uh, when I was very young, 
and I saw in the window a pair of leather pants. And when I was a teenager in the 90s, I thought it looked like a rock star if I had a pair of leather pants. And I was talking about these leather pants to this group of teenagers, and they're looking at me like I have three eyeballs. They're like, what is this idiot talking about? I had no idea that pants is not the word they use for trousers. Pants is the word they use for underwear. So I'm sitting here talking about a pair of leather underwear, and these idiots are like, oh my goodness. So yeah, we have to learn when we become citizens, the culture and the makeup of that, of that new country. We have to learn the regulations and the rules of the new country that we're coming to. You can't just set up shop and start a business in the United States when you're a foreigner. You have to go through all the rules, all the regulations. And finally, you pledge allegiance to this new country. Ephesians tells us, that we are no longer citizens of the old dead life, that we are now citizens of heaven. You are citizens, that you are members of God's family. In understanding our purpose, we have to understand who, whose family we are of. By, by birth, I am a Hurst. I come from a line of Hurstesses. I don't know if that's the right word or not but I come from a line of Hursts and I have a father who's a Hurst and I have a grandfather who's a Hurst and unfortunately our family line actually stops there because my grandfather was adopted into a family of Hursts. We don't really know much about anything before his adoption. So we have at least three generations and now four with my sons that we understand the, the line or the lineage of men that call themselves Hursts but I'm given a title, I'm given a last name as a title to the family that I am a part of and the family that my grandfather was adopted into. But can you imagine if one day my grandfather got news and said, son, I thought we were hearsed, but we're bigger than that. In fact, our lineage goes all the way to the Queen of England and not only are we, not only, not only are we now of a different lineage, but you are royalty. In fact, you're in line for the throne, so you have access to the $500 million that is the crown's wealth. If you got that letter today, would it change your life? Would it change your life forever? Would it change how you identify? Would you start to then identify as that old life, or would you now identify in the new kingdom that you're a part of? But see, that's exactly what happens when we come to Christ when we come to Jesus, we are now citizens of heaven and we have to learn to identify in the new family in order for us to understand our full weight and purpose. In order for us to truly live love and to matter, we can't live life as we used to. We have to live life in the new family that we've been adopted into. Jesus took us on and he grafted us, the Bible says, into the family. He grafted our lives back onto the family. We are not just simply adopted. We are now heirs and joint heirs with Jesus to the throne of God. We are of his house. We are of his household. Ephesians chapter two and verse 20, it's gonna come up on the screen, but we are fellow citizens. And in being fellow citizens, we first connect with God in our connection with God. We start to develop a connection, a deep-seated connection with others. Ephesians chapter two and verse 20 and through 22, it says this, having been built on a foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fit together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling plate, into a dwelling, sorry, of God in the spirit. 
that we are being built, that we as a collective, as we reassign our citizenship, are being built into a building. We are being built into a structure that literally ushers in the presence of God. That when we together create what is known as the church or a community of believers, we are not isolated and alone, that we've started out with our elder brother, Jesus, the perfect cornerstone so that we can all be level, so that we can all be on the same plane. And then from that, we build one on top of the other from the days of Jesus until now to be a place of dwelling for the spirit of God. For us to understand our citizenship, for us to understand our purpose, we are to understand that this life is not our own just to live by our own means, that we are part of a system, we are part of a government, we are part of a family, that we are to give up the rights and privileges we had in the old life, that we are to give up the rights and privileges we had in the old country, as some would say. I had the privilege of serving uh, under a pastor in Pittsburgh who had a, a long uh, uh, family line of Italians. And uh, John, and last name is Nuzo. It doesn't sound really Italian to me, but I guess it's really Italian. Um, I have no idea where it comes from. Uh, but I can remember him giving all of these wonderful stories about his grandparents and talking about the old country and how good it would be to go back to the old country. But when they were pressed and when they actually had time to go back to the old country, they didn't stay very long. In fact, John himself just took a tour of Italy and met some of his family over this last summer. And you notice he didn't give up his United States citizenship to tour Italy and to meet family. Even though the old country was good and to visit and come back to from time to time, he didn't give up his citizenship to go to Italy. In fact, most of us, if we traced our ancestral roots back, they don't necessarily uh, start here in the United States, maybe some other country, but we wouldn't give up our citizenship to go back to the old country. And too much of the time in our life is spent giving up our citizenship in heaven to go relate back to our old family. We need to understand that when we are birthed in Christ, when we are of that heavenly home, that we have renounced that old self, we have renounced that old citizenship, and now we live in God's family. We live in God's kingdom. Your purpose in this world, it comes as we have a deep-seated connection with the family of God. You are, whether you know it or not, you are connected to a lineage of royalty. Whether we understand it or not, whether we wanna believe it at times or not, we are connected to royalty. The problem is if we're not spending time and connecting with God, if we're not spending time in the word, if we're not spending time in worship, if we're not spending time in prayer, it can feel distant and off. Our lives can feel as though we're, we're not so royal. We're not so part of the family. We're not so connected because we haven't spent time communing with the Father. If I got this leather letter from my grandfather that says we are now royalty, we are princes, and we are heirs to a throne and to a kingdom, if I had this letter and I received it, but I never found my way to the throne room, I never introduced myself to the monarch, if I never showed up in the court and in the palace, nothing that's been afforded to me by being in the kingdom would be given over. I couldn't just walk around and say, I'm a king today. Nobody would believe me. Couldn't walk into a Starbucks without proof and say, I'm the king of Great Britain and no one would believe me. In fact, I'd be sent to the nut house. 
But the only way we get and we are afforded the rights and privileges is when we come to the throne room and we subjugate ourselves to the king and we say, okay, now I'm part of the family. And he gives his seal and he gives his approval. And then, then we operate in this new kingdom. I believe in showing respect. I try to do it well most of the time. I don't do it well all of the time. I don't like titles. And I generally don't get very intimidated by titles. Uh, sometimes I do. In this past year, I had an opportunity to go uh, to Israel, as many of you know, and I was standing on a bombed out school uh, in Gaza, and you could see Syria on the other side. Um, and I'm standing there with uh, Major Chadoff, who will be one of the speakers at the Night to Honor Israel this year. Uh, if you're interested in going, it's coming up in a few weeks. Just a great opportunity for Christians to celebrate and honor the nation state of Israel and the Jewish people. And he'll be our speaker for that event. And I'm standing on that, uh, standing on the, the top roof of that building that's been totally bombed out. And I got to know this man just a little bit over a car ride. And I was, thought I could joke with him a little bit. And I said, Major, Ch Major Chadoff, are we safe up here? And I'm kind of poking him, you know, like, haha, I know we're safe. There's armies out there, but it's, you know, it's tense. It's a tense area. And he looked at me real serious. He said, they don't have any idea who you are, but they know who I am. So if I go down, you better run. And I think he meant it. But I have a, a weird affinity at times to poke fun at titles and leadership. But I knew better than to go too far with that joke because he's a major in the Israeli army. He really carries some weight in that country. I knew that better than to go too far and, and pushing my, my, my whimsical agenda that morning. But a lot of us, that's how we come to God. We push the boundary. We don't respect the title. We don't respect the throne. We've gotten to a place where we're good at asking, but we're not good at respecting because we don't have real relationship. My sons are good at asking their dad for a lot of things. They ask me for more food and more experiences and more toys and more this and more that, and they're good at it. And I give it to them without fail. I wanna do my best to be a good dad. So I give and I give and I give into their life. But someday they're going to have to respect me for who I am. Not just what I can give them, not just what I can pay for, not just what I can provide for them. Someday they'll have to respect me for who I am in their life. And hopefully I've done a good job of building that level of respect. Too many of us, we come to God on that same plane. We're part of the family. We run to the throne room and it's give me, give me, give me. And it's not about recognizing his authority and his prominence and his station saying, God, I'll serve you. Not only will, do I have needs in my life, but beyond that, God, I'll do whatever you tell me to. I'm submitting myself to the kingdom. I'm submitting myself to the king. We have incredible significance in this life, whether we understand it or not. We have incredible significance that can lead to an incredible purpose. Once we submit ourselves to the family of God, once we submit ourselves to the king, we have an opportunity we carry in us like a virus, we carry in us the gospel message. If you're a doctor, you might save a life through medical means and procedures, but at the end of the day, even if that life lives itself out to a healthy and old age, it will die not to be resurrected. 
You can be a fireman and you can save folks from a burning building. And when the time comes and they are elderly, they will pass on from this life and there's nothing you can do to change that outcome. You can be a police officer and you can save men and women from car crashes or terrorist activities and eventually their life will end. The only thing that keeps life sustaining in a real supernatural sense is the message of the gospel that we carry within us something of a seed of eternity and that's why our lives are vehemently important. That we are so very important whether we understand our importance or not. We need to know first the balance. We're on the right bus. We're going in the right direction. We're on the right seat. We're in the place where God is, has called us, but we have that purpose behind us that we know we're moving and being guided of the Holy Spirit, that we're the right person. We're on the right bus and we're headed in the right direction. We have an importance. We have an importance in, in our significance that sometimes is so very overlooked. In fact, Mark Twain said it like this. He said, the worst loneliness is not to be comfortable with yourself. The worst type of loneliness, and I so see so many people experiencing this day to day to day to day, that they're not comfortable with who they are. They're not comfortable with who God has made them. They're not comfortable with their purpose and what God's called them to. And you know, the point of this series isn't for me to line each one of you up and say, you got a purpose and you got a purpose like Oprah. My point is so that you can identify within your heart and within your spirit what God's calling you to so that in that calling, you know, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're fulfilling the purpose God has for you. One of the greatest needs that we have as humans, one of the greatest needs is that we connect with other people and that we connect with a purpose and with a passion, that we connect to fulfill a goal that's larger than ourselves, that we connect at such a deep level that what our life is moving forward and that what our life is moving towards is something much greater than we could accomplish on our own. You are a significant purpose and your life you are a significant person, I'm sorry, and your life counts, it matters. Our mission statement as a church has a line in it that says that we are helping people develop an authentic life of faith or a significant life of faith. There are so many folks who don't have a significant or an authentic day to day, yet our goal, our charge as a church is to help you develop a significant life of faith. Galatians chapter three and verse 26, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. But we're gonna learn this very specific idea as we move forward in this teaching, that we are clothed in Christ. In verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself in Christ. For those of us that have come to Jesus, that we're of this new family, that we're of this new kingdom, that at some point we put on Jesus, that we clothe ourselves in him. The language there is actually really specific, even in the Greek, that the intent of this new purpose is to look like and act like and be like Jesus. And I know that sounds difficult and hard, and most of the time, I don't wanna be like Jesus. I don't wanna live, I don't wanna love, I don't wanna matter like Jesus did. I wanna do my own thing. In fact, this week, 
It was kind of a trying week for the church and for our community. If you're unaware, Art and Suzanne, Dr. Art and Suzanne uh, Pitts, their daughter Emily passed away this week as she had battled ALS for many years. It's a very difficult battle over these last few years. And I had the opportunity to sit with the family to help and to guide as they're grieving and as we're planning funeral arrangements. And I don't know about you guys, but you have that one person, maybe two people in your life, and they just text you inappropriately at different times. Well, this person was doing that this week. And it's, they wanted to argue. And it's one text after another. And I'm like, come on, man, I don't need this this week. So many other things going on in my life. And I wanted to just text back, you idiot, you have no idea what's going on and just go off on them, right? I knew I couldn't do that, but I wanted to. I knew I shouldn't do that, but I very much wanted to. I didn't wanna be Christ-like and extend love and care and forgiveness. In fact, I had to just literally quit texting because it wasn't going anywhere. But I didn't want to be someone of God's favor that would love. I didn't wanna be someone who exemplifies Jesus and to understand they're going through something difficult. And I didn't wanna be someone who would put on the nature of Christ. I wanted to let my stress out. I wanted to tell them how wrong they were. But by virtue of being made new, by virtue of having a, a destined purpose in this life, by virtue of putting on Jesus, I had to calm myself down. Now we don't always do a good job of that. When we're in life, when we're living life to its fullest extent that we can, when we are loving as, as, as hard as we can, when we are living life on purpose, when we are living, when we are loving, when we are living life on purpose, sometimes it's difficult to act like Jesus because we think our agenda should matter more than any particular moment. But we're called in everything to live, to love, and to matter just like Christ did. One of the biggest, well, three of the biggest issues was people uh, express and, and seek after their purpose in life is they wanna know one, they're welcomed, they wanna know they're wanted, and they wanna know they're needed. Whether it's a, a, a scenario like this, where we have a church community, people wanna know they're welcome, they wanna know they're greeted well. That's why Walmart has greeters. They have greeters so that you're welcome. When you walk into Walmart, you feel welcome. People wanna know that they're wanted that what they have to offer means something, and they wanna know that they're needed, that they can be put to work, that they, be, they can be put to a task, and that in that task they can be fulfilled. And that happens because to, to be wanted, to, I'm sorry, to be welcomed, to be wanted, and to be needed, lend itself to living, to loving, and to matter. I think in the body of Christ, we've lost sight of preaching a message that Jesus not only, he welcomes everyone, that he says it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter what sin you struggle with, it doesn't matter what issue you have in this life, you are welcome to the cross and you are so needed, you are so wanted. You are so wanted that the Bible says Jesus would leave the 99 and go after just the one, that he wants you so much that what he already has, he will put aside to go after that one wayward person and that you are so needed because there's a job to do. There's a job to do that's bigger than, than us. There's a job to do that's bigger than our day to day. There's a job to do in Christ that's bigger than we could possibly understand. It is the salvation of the entire world. The, entire, the, the, the entirety of that statement doesn't land on your shoulders. You're not the one called to save the world, Christ is, but he has to work through vessels like you and I. He has to work through earthen vessels like each and every one of us. And when we understand that we are welcomed, that we are wanted, that we are needed, we can learn to truly live 
to love and to matter. There's a process that we're gonna go through over the next couple of weeks in identifying a few things. First, self-image and self-worth. Self-image and self-worth, I believe, are some of the two uh, biggest issues that folks deal with. We wonder our value, are we worth anything? We wonder our identity, where does it come from? Most of us have a a sense of of identity. We have a self-image that comes from someone else. Maybe a father yelled and screamed at you when you were a child that you're dumb. Maybe a a spouse has berated you over and over again and, and your failings are so very known in the family. Maybe, Maybe your self-image comes because you failed over and over and over and you just can't see yourself as doing anything but failing. But we all have, self, have self-image issues and most of us have them from external causes. And then there's self-worth. Depending on our self-image, we have a hard time understanding our worth and our value. We have a hard time understanding how God can see any value in us at all. That's all because we haven't clothed ourselves in Jesus. I mean, the simple fact is that all comes because we haven't put on Jesus as our new nature. The hard fact is how do we do that day to day, week to week, year to year? How do we do that in this scenario or that? How do we do that walking through this life? How do we put on Jesus at every moment? When I was working in New Orleans, I was ministering with a group of teenagers and they have this really awkward game they would play. A group of kids would huddle, huddle around one another and they would start to kind of chant between each other, add me up, add me up, bro. Add me up, man. And one kid would go to one of the others and they would start to add up from their shoes on up. The shoes are worth 120 bucks. The pants are worth 80 bucks. The t-shirt's worth 75. The gold chain on your wrist is worth 100. The, 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 the cologne that you spritzed on before you walked out of the door is worth 30. And whoever had the, the, grand, the, the, the largest grand total was the winner for the day. He's the stud of the morning. And I watch these kids do this like every day and I'm watching this self-image and self-worth being imposed on a group of students by what they were wearing from day to day, from week to day to week. In fact, Lori and I got in a a lot of discussion with these kids and it was funny. These kids would rather have a nice pair of sneakers than a nice car because the the shoes were seen more often. And they'd rather have a nice car than a nice house because again, they can drive the car around the neighborhood and folks can see the car before they can see the house. Most of their value system bled down to whatever is seen most often is where the most value is. And many of us do the same thing when we're searching for self-image and self-worth, we might not play the game, add me up, but we definitely look at values a little different. We look at our neighbor and we think, well, can I get a little bit nicer car? Might even look at our neighbor and think, I wonder if I'm a little more attractive than they are. If I lost 20 pounds, I know I'd be much more attractive. In fact, I have a great social experiment if you want to find out how attractive you are. If you think you're attractive, it's very simple to find out how good looking you are. Just start telling people, I'm so good looking. Oh man, I'm so good looking. The problem is if people laugh a lot, you're probably not. If they look at you and say how arrogant you are, you're probably attractive. Now you can go at that social experiment all on your own. Whatever the results are, you're gonna have to accept them for what they are. But we get caught up 
in trying to assess ourselves by our neighbors, by some weird standard, by social media. Social media has put this, this pressure on us to have this perfect life, to have these perfect kids, to have these perfect moments. And we all get caught up in the clicks and the likes and the comments and the video views. And is anyone even reading my posts? The hard reality is that's not where self-worth or self-image should ever come from. That's not where self-worth and self-image should ever originate from. We should understand who we are in Christ, and if no one ever reads my post, then so be it. We should know who we are in Christ, and if no one ever likes my post, then who cares? We should be so in invested in having ourselves wrapped in the person of Jesus that all we look to is, I know, I know who I am in Christ, and that's all that matters. Over the next couple of weeks, this is where we're going to go. We're gonna motivate ourselves as a body to get introspective and look into our self-worth, into our identity, our self-image. See, true self-worth can only come as we're motivated, as we're moving, as we're putting on Jesus as our self-image. But that doesn't come easily and it doesn't come naturally. But before we can do that, and before we can understand our purpose, before we can truly connect with the bus and make sure, making sure we're on the right bus, going in the right direction, with the right seat, the right people, the right time, before we can do all of those things and identifying purpose, we have to ask the hard questions. Do you really, are you really living? Do you really love and do you really matter? Are you really living life to its fullest? Are you making every day count for something? more than just paying the bills, more than just getting through another eight hours, more than just trying to avoid another fight with your spouse, are you truly living? And do you truly love? Do you have the relationships in your sphere of influence? Do you have your relationships around you that are so connected, so deep-seated, so passionate that you know that love is being extended, that love is being given, that you can say that you truly love your neighbor, that you love those who are less fortunate, that you love because Christ's love lives within you. The Bible's real clear, it says, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And he that does not love is not of God. We know that love is that corner piece. It's that fulcrum, it's that center mark that all of this works off of. And do you matter? Do you matter? Sometimes it's a hard question to ask. Do I really, really matter? Does my life matter? If today I were gone, would anyone notice? If today was the last day of my life, would tomorrow impact anyone? Or would my company just throw another cog in the wheel? Or would my life just be extinguished and forgotten? The only way we can get to a point where our purpose is fulfilled and we truly matter is when we learn to live on purpose and when we learn to love like Jesus. And I can guarantee you at that moment, your life will matter more than it's ever mattered. But that all comes as we understand that we have a great self-identity, that we have a great self-worth in Christ, that our image is being remade into that of Jesus, that our self-worth comes from him and from nothing else. That's why we read this morning that we are citizens of heaven. We're not citizens of this earth anymore. 
We're not citizens of the old life that we used to live. We've been divorced from that. We've left that country and we've gained a new allegiance and it is to the throne of grace. And then we've come boldly because we can literally put on Jesus, because we can put him on as our buffer and as our example. Most of us hear the idea of putting on Christ and we think, how am I gonna live up to the standard? But there's a flip side to that, that if you put on Jesus, he is also the buffer to anything that would come against your life. All the pressures from social media and the outside world that would come to dissuade your self-image and your self-worth, he is the buffer. Anything that would come as a fiery dart from the enemy to reach into your heart, he becomes that buffer as you put on Christ-likeness. This life is lived differently when we know our value, our worth, when we understand our self-image is wrapped up in Jesus. So this morning, my question as we move through this, as we move through this series is are you really living? Are you really loving and do you matter? And if you can't answer yes to any of those questions, or maybe a few of them you're not sure of, then we need to work, we need to do the hard work to get to the core of the issue so that you can answer affirmatively, that you can answer yes to each and every one of those. In my own life, I was asked that question. Are you really living on purpose? Do you really love as Jesus loved? And do you matter, or are you just a cog in a wheel? I was asked that by a pastor that I worked for. He looked at my life and he said, listen, kid, you're good at what you do. You'll be good no matter what you end up doing. You work hard enough. You'll, you'll have a good life. He said, but you can be in ministry for many, many years and ruin your marriage because you don't understand these factors. You, can, you might not get divorced, but you and, your life, you and your wife won't have a good relationship. You're not gonna like each other. He said, in the end of the day, you probably will hurt your kids to the extent that they don't even like God or like church because you'll do all the things that are supposed to be right and necessary, but you're not living the life that Christ has for you. You're not loving to the extent that God's love is being shown through you, and you don't really matter because you haven't found that purpose. Man, it hit me like a ton of bricks. All I could think of is, you idiot, you have no idea what you're talking about. Walked out of that meeting mad as a hornet. Mad, complained to Lori for weeks. This, who does this guy think he is? He doesn't, know any, he doesn't know anything about my marriage. What I didn't realize was that on your face, many times people can see, and anyone who's attuned to looking into someone's life and looking at their self-identity and their self-worth can see that something's not quite right. It's just like if you hurt your shoulder and you try to hide it, the moment you move that muscle the wrong way, and ooh, that, pin, that pinch of pain comes over your face, that twinge, just kind of comes over the countenance and your face looks a little different. When self-identity, when self-worth is being challenged and it isn't in Christ, those who are attuned and know what to look for, they can look when life adds a little pressure and they can watch the countenance of your, of your face change and ooh, there's, there's something not quite right. They might not know exactly what it is and it wasn't John's job to tell me exactly what my issues were. His job was to be a guidepost and to lead and to guide. It's exactly what he did. So over the next few weeks, from our own example as a couple, from my own example peer, uh, personally, we're gonna talk about what it is to look through our life for identity, 
and for worth and to ultimately find the purpose that God has for us. Because I guarantee you this, whatever God's called you to is so much greater, so much bigger, so much grander than you understand. And when we're not living in that to the fullest extent, life can look shallow, almost meaningless. But when you hit that at full speed, man, God will change you from the inside out. God will rearrange your heart and your life and you will feel so fulfilled. You'll feel so fulfilled, even in the everyday, even in the mundane, you're gonna feel a sense of purpose come over you like you never thought possible. So over the next few weeks, join us as we explore what it is to understand God's purpose for each one of us.